Lights. Camera. Action. Take one. Scene 25, take 52. <laughs> Recorded in London, I'm Bean Funny and I'm producing this episode of the podcast about women in film. Girls on film. <laughs> <laughs> episode we want to talk about how important representation is why charlie braids and i got into this mad industry and all the things we'd like to change about it so growing up in the house that i did the tv was always on um and i think that kind of for me decided that i was probably going to work in television or in the moving image because i couldn't get away from it in my own house charlie when did you realize that you loved film the media television okay so when i was about 15 16 Harry Potter filmed near our hometown and we bunked off school and went to set and then when we got there there were these people walking around with walkie talkies talking to each other they were probably runners <laughs> but I was like that looks so cool I want to be one of those people they're just like walking around bossing everyone around like they came and like took over the park and obviously set up and I was just like that is just just looks like the funnest thing to do in the world. <laughs> just running around talking on walkie-talkies to each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think similarly, like, watching um, people in the process of making film rather than watching yeah. films always is, the, like, just so exciting. Yeah. I think, like, I used to watch a lot of TV as a kid, but I didn't ever think about it as a career until that, that day and <laughs> seeing all the directors and producers and everyone kind of running around doing on the film set I was like oh my god <laughs> this is actually a job <laughs> yeah I also feel like I just had like really good telly education because I just watched so much of it mm. and I wonder if I could gather all those hours that I'd watched and actually get a degree out of it research this, hours yeah because in the same way that you have to read books like I just had hours and hours and hours of tv and all sorts of tv like from like weird you know, Hindi soap operas my mum would watch on ZTV to like every single game show on a Saturday night that my dad loved to watch, watching dramas, watching kind of weird fact dent programs, like mm. dating programs, Blind Date. I watched Blind <laughs> Date, <laughs> the whole series of Blind Date. <laughs> we used to like just have like TV watching time, like with TV wasn't always under my our house and my mum was always quite like only like one hour of TV a day, <laughs> but then sort of we'd all gather for EastEnders and Noel's house party and the Generation oh, yeah. Game and Blind, Blind Date Man Oh Man do you remember Man Oh Man Liza Tarbuck yeah. yeah I love that well I mean as much as I loved all these TV shows apart from you know Goodness Gracious Me and any of the Goodness work Goodness Gracious Me was great oh my god we loved brilliant. that at our house it was so good apart from that and any of the work of like Gorinda Chada who's uh, the Bendit like Beckham director yeah I rarely saw people on television that represented me and now a definition uh, so here is a definition of representation the action of speaking or acting on behalf of someone or the state of being so represented you may qualify for free legal representation <laughs> 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 or the description or portrayal of someone or something in a particular way. And it, the reference point here is the representation of women in newspapers. Mm. Uh, Charlie, do you think you felt accurately represented by any character on TV growing up? <laughs> <laughs> Was any character me? Okay, so the only character that I really felt like I could properly relate to, which is gonna, this is going to sound really lame, but 
is Bridget Jones from Bridget <laughs> Jones's Diary. And that came out when I was a teenager, probably around the time that I went to the Harry Potter set. <laughs> I don't know, I just, this, obviously I'm white and mm-hmm. lots of characters are white. There's no shortage of white females, but the kind of way they're represented, represented <laughs> on screen was always like a bit weak and a bit like a secondary character to the men and... They're always really like thin and not me and not silly and not really flawed. Where and then kind of Bridget Jones came along in my pajamas. I had those exact pajamas and I still am a big fan of a matching pair of flannel pajamas. <laughs> and like she worried about her weight. She wanted to get a boyfriend. She drank too much and she was like a bit outrageous. Mm. And I just yeah. And she was a TV presenter and she got that job when she was going for a breakup. And I don't know. I just was like yes. There yeah. she is. That I want that to be my adult self. I want to move to London. I want to live in an amazing flat. By the way, that was false. No one can afford to live in those flats on their own anymore. <laughs> and like have some friends and get drunk and yeah. Yeah. And pretend to be clever. Because <laughs> it just yeah, she was just really... She worked in TV, didn't she? Bridget yeah, Jones. she was, she became a TV presenter yeah. after she quit her job in publishing. Obviously, I think it's impossible to presume that some kind of version of you is going to be on screen because we're all quite unique people mm. but I mean you think like representing us as individuals is probably quite difficult but representing women I mean that yeah. that should be an easy thing on television mm. right I mean we do make up uh, half of the population but so while we're both working professionals in the field I think you know sadly the stats are still against us uh, for women uh, on and off the screen off screen in 2017 women comprised 18% of all directors writers producers exec producers editors and cinematographers working in the top 250 domestic grossing films. And last year, only 1% of films employed 10 or more women in the above roles. <laughs> women comprised 11% of all directors working on the top 250 films of 2017. And women, just, women made up 14% of directors and 7% of cinematographers on the 3,500 British qualifying film productions between 2003 and 2015. Um, it's the stats like are insane and those what those ones that affect us you know the kind of that doesn't make me feel like I can start applying for those jobs (laughs) (laughs) no no well I mean also if you're on screen uh, in those same films 24% of protagonists were women and only 32% of all female characters were BAME which is a black Asian minority ethnic for those of you who haven't figured that one out yet and in 2015 you're more likely to see an alien in a Hollywood film than an Asian woman. I loved that that's one. That's a out. really mad stat. Yeah, I think it, that's really telling on, like, what sort of things pe- people... What's being put in front of people. And I feel like... I mean, maybe I'm really wrong, but I feel like representation's got worse. Right, yeah. In terms of how things were when we were young. Like, I know this is quite an obvious thing to, like, roll out. Oh, Desmond's. <laughs> and goodness gracious me. And I don't know. I just felt like I consumed... And also, like, as a kid, I used to watch Keenan and Kel, Sister, Sister, Moesha. A lot of my viewing as a, as a child was, wasn't was white. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't know, is now the children not have mm. access to that sort of thing? Yeah, I wonder. That's all, but that's also, also American programming. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you rarely saw black British or black Asian families on TV. Um, a lot of those... Uh, Asian families kind of came into EastEnders and that was like always a big mm. breakthrough like there's another really good stat because you're saying that you know perhaps it hasn't it's gotten worse and um, like the the birth of cinema in like 1913 uh, 
No, it probably <laughs> the birth, the birth of I like that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lumiere brothers, they were the first people that did um, a first film, which you must have heard of. It was like they shot a train. Uh, yes, and everyone thought yeah, the train it, was going to come They were like, through. what is happening? This is crazy, which would have been a great time. Uh, but the BFI did this filmography, which analysed 10,000 films and 250,000 cast and crew members. It revealed that less than 1% of films made between 1913 and 2017 had a majority female crew. And only 7% since two, 2000. Only 45 of all films have been directed by a woman. And the most popular word in British film titles is man, appearing 211 times. <laughs> and woman appears 71 times. Wow. Because how many like movies and titles of man have you had in them and you're just, you know, you just take that for granted? Mm. Uh, or, or I'm trying men's... to think of some man titles now. <laughs> or men's names, like, you know, Citizen Kane or... Um, Jerry Maguire Truman Show (laughs) Um, but I think that you know that is potentially going to change because we've become a bit more woke and and ready for it because yes if we get representation on television it is a certain type of representation as well yeah and that's that's the fear you know women aren't often heroes aren't often you know superheroes aren't often evil or full people really (laughs) in (laughs) any way let's be honest do you know what? It really pisses me off because everyone, like all the men I, all the men, some of the men, <laughs> I need to be very careful here. Some of the men I work with, you know, like on Facebook when they're crewing up for a film or a production and they're looking for female crews specifically mm. because it might have a sensitive subject matter or something that's particularly feminine. So they want, you know, they want female crew. Mm. And then everyone's so up in ours. We're like, this is sexist. This is sexist. It's like, well, between 1913 and 2017, <laughs> only 1% of crews have been majority female. So just let us have, make one film. With, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with all female crew. Yeah. And people get so up in arms about it. And I did some filming the other day where I was an extra and we had to all take our tops off to do a scene of like nudity, you know, enough said about that. But all the men left the set and then even the camera, the director, camera person took their top off to do it and we were all wonderfully nude. Mm -hmm. And it was just felt so good to be filming something that was really feminine. And Mm -hmm. actually the betrayal of breasts on screen Mm -hmm. is always seen through such a male gaze and actually to be part of something where... A woman's filming it, a woman's taking control of it, and in a, in a room full of bare-chested women. Mm. Just felt fucking cool and really powerful. But it's mad, because to me that feels like you did something radical, and it shouldn't. No. It's 2018. Free the nipple. Like, women should be making... Like, the, the idea of women making films about other women mm. in any sort of nudity and them being in charge of their bodies, that shouldn't still shock me. No. I'm a feminist. I'm, mm. you know, a modern woman, and I'm still like, whoa, radical, man. You know, like, that's mental, yeah. right? I hate that. And I hate that, like, I never saw myself on screen, not because I wanted to be an actress or a thespian, or mm. because I never, ever aspired to anything there, and I still don't mm. know where I fit in this industry because I don't see people like me in it. One thing I've really found was it kind of gets inside your head about the, the images you're seeing day to day, and it's not just in films and TV, uh, it's in print media, in advertising. It kind of takes away your ability to show a full range of emotions. This, I mean, this is going to sound really weird. I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. But, like, I had a thing where I was crying in public and I was really upset. I was really embarrassed because I was like, oh, no one wants to see this kind of chubby, ugly girl cry. And that went through my head of, like, the only people that we see have big emotions, happiness, sadness on Mm. screen are 
these super slim, super traditional looking white women. And mm. obviously I'm a white woman myself and I'm feeling that pressure that I'm not allowed to show any big emotions, mm. like being loud and being brash and being angry and being sad. And it's like the only... T- time that we can accept that is is when it's coming from a certain type of person so i imagine being part of a ethnic minority that isn't portrayed in all the media we're consuming mm. it must be weird because it's like radical being in a public place and ha- being a full person because we don't see it yeah like yeah is or, that a weird thing to say no i totally understand it's quite you... a long long story no, but i think i think you explained it really well because it's about like those kind of options and opportunities for you and they become limited by what is presented to you but also like we all consume media so freely and and happily and we watch films and all of those kind of characteristics we pick up from Mm. media and tv like we like to talk like some characters we like in tv Mm. we like some people's mannerisms like like clueless i mimic that for years exactly Mm. you just kind of adopt that but if the kind of options for women are so limited you know Mm. you only get to be uh temptress whore or virgin (laughs) you know schoolgirl. you don't really get to be you know multi-layered character who's you know kind of torn between two worlds and you know just having that option but and being the hero Mm. like I think being the hero the hero of your own story is like (laughs) like backing yourself yeah and it's something that privilege gives people yeah and how you I don't know like it yeah people often say oh why do you care what's kind of on screen if you're off screen if it's like an all-female cast and crew and you've directed it does it matter that the portrayal on screen is sexist? <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. Every time you work on a TV show or a film that doesn't accurately represent women and the female experience, it chips away. It chips away at me anyway. Mm. And just seeing the stereotypes played into again and again and again. And yeah. It's, it, I, think, I think I'm probably a little bit more lax on that because actually I think storytelling and stories sometimes are enhanced by kind of exaggerated characters. Yeah. And sometimes if you're portraying a woman, you can portray them in this uh, with key identifiers of a woman to kind of enhance them. But I think currently, right now, where we are in society, where we are at the moment, people really need to be shifting the narrative and challenging things. Like, we were talking about going to see a film the other day and it was the uh, new Ocean's 8 film with all Uh, the female cast. I've really sidestepped that. Did you see it? I haven't seen it, no. But uh, when the person who asked me to go see it with them was like, oh, should we go see that new uh, Ghostbusters thing again? It's like, what? Ghostbusters? Well, Because they did a remake. Exactly. (laughs) So it's like this new thing that people are doing. It's not a fad. We need to stop talking about it like that. It's not like Ghostbusters have done it again. It's just... (laughs) Like, these women are actual actresses who have been practising their fields. Why can't we have written them a new script? I'll write it. Like... Like, it's really annoying because yeah. then everyone's, it's like a direct comparison mm. to the male version. And then it's like male versus female. And yeah. Yeah. I saw that 8 out of 10 cats are doing an all-female panel episode. And you're like, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's yeah. like, you got to do 10 of those. Like, yeah. That's... Well, you gotta, you got to do 10 years of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then also it's like, well, where's the female um, panel show where we invite one man a week to be part of the panel. (laughs) Exactly, that's Das. (laughs) (laughs) So 
as we've explored so far, the bigger picture isn't that pretty for women in film. I feel like whenever we look at the bigger picture of anything, <laughs> it's not <laughs> bit of a downer, bit of a downer. But as we often like to do here on Das, we like <laughs> to talk about the smaller picture. So from the big screen to our much smaller screen. So uh, as you probably guessed, uh, neither Charlie uh, nor me uh, went to film school. No. Um, yet we both probably devoted like most of our lives to making content. And we both have real ambitions to be directors of our own work. We work in the industry and we're still really trying to be there. So we can talk about it from our perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, I can confirm that I found the industry in incredibly difficult to get oh into at the start. God. <laughs> I, I feel find... like I've got PTSD from the start <laughs> of my career. <laughs> and I think that it's um really elitist still. Yeah. Um and even though I'm in it, I'm not sure I feel that safe or comfortable nope. in it. Uh and the whole idea of like getting my foot through the door maybe I am just in the door. I feel like I've got a leg in, so it's a bit harder to shut the door, but I'm not in. (laughs) Ten ten years into my career, I'm not inside that door. Oh, God. Well, let's go straight back to the start. So, Charlie, how did you get into television? When I finished my degree in religious studies and theology, I was, like, obsessed with documentaries, and I just used to watch loads, and I was like, right, I'm going to be a documentary maker. I'm going to give myself a year... And if I can't do that, I'm going to go and be a teacher. So I finished university, went back to my hometown and worked at Weatherspoons and Topshop. Two jobs. Every morning I woke up at 6am and I applied for at least 20 jobs a day. I did that from um, July till December. And by December, the week before Christmas, I got a job. So what's a few months? Um, and I used to set up interviews and go to London and I'd do about six interviews in a day and then come home and I was absolutely broke. I had no money. I spent all my money on train tickets to get to London and to come back. And I started out applying for like pure film jobs and kind of TV jobs on shows and was not getting anything back. And then I moved into more administration jobs because people seemed to be a bit more receptive to me working in those roles. So then I was like, I got my first job on reception at a post-production facility in Soho. Um, and I think I got that job because of my white face and my posh <laughs> voice. And you just learn when you go to interviews that the people that are interviewing you are all the same. And if you can copy their voice and wear some like slightly smart clothes, because I was at Topshop, I got some discounts. So like I got some like smart clothes and, and there I got, that was my first job. But then I'd say I had a really, for the next four years, it was really make or break of whether I just had to give it up because I couldn't afford to live. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's yeah, in a nutshell. I mean, there are many more emotions. My story's not dis- too dissimilar. I graduated uh, in 2010. So we were both kind of kids that came out of this, like, horrific recession and financial crash. Was like, it, had, it was, like, the worst time to be looking for a job. So there was no jobs. I waitressed. Um, I worked in a biscuit factory... I then finally... Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Did you get free biscuits when I did. they broke? Yeah, it was great. I, you know, worked two jobs and paid rent in London. And I was living with my boyfriend, so I actually had some, you know, like, it wasn't that difficult for me because we were sharing a room mm. in a shared house. Yeah. And then I applied for, like, so many jobs. And I remember one day walking out of the biscuit factory and getting a phone call from the British Film Institute saying, there, and they said, we have a job um, for you to be an usher, uh, if you want to be an usher for the film festival. And then I, I thought it, I thought I'd made it. I was like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> I this... know. I thought when I got my reception job, I was like, this is the beginning of my story. My memoir starts here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I used to usher like, 
you know, big film festival premieres and like director Q and A's, like I'd go and get the mic and I'd be like, one day I'll be on that stage, like talking about my own film and it'll be an amazing thing. And I did that for like three years on and off while Mm. also holding down an internship that I got at BAFTA. Uh, I did a two day uh, runner job that I couldn't afford to do the five days because I had to make money. Loads and loads of stuff until I got onto, um, there was this big internship program called the Shed Media Internship. And I got down to the final 10. And in my exit interview, they said, we're not going to give you the internship. We're going to give you a two day a week job. Oh, wow. And I was like, a job in television. And that was it. Yeah. So I didn't get the internship of my dreams, but I got a little job out of it. And I became a development assistant straight away, which is... That's good. Really sweet, sweet start after all of that hard graft. It took me eight years to get into development. So... Yeah. I mean, two days a week, though. It doesn't really... No. Still having to have other jobs. Like, my tax is so fucked up from having so many jobs. So many itty bits of money as well that I had to collate together. Yeah. And then not getting paid on time and not yeah. being able to pay your bills. If anyone's ever had that tax bill, actually, where you've got, like, four tax codes. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah, because I did that many jobs in a year and I don't know. And then they're like, you owe us £500 <laughs> and you make £500 a month. And you're like, well... <laughs> don't know how that happened. Yeah. It's it's a problem of the industry. So what do you think... Why do you think it's so hard to get into? It, it's, it's... A lot of people want to work in television. It's It's you know one of the sorts of jobs that a lot of people want to have and people just want to protect it everyone has had I mean not everyone's had a hard journey but a lot of people had a hard journey being a runner is a really difficult job and I feel like people want to protect that and everyone wants somebody that's just like them when they started and if everyone in the top is a particular type of person they're only going to back people that are like them 15 years ago. I remember when I was asking people, I mean, I didn't know anyone who was in the industry to start with. I didn't even... No, did I. I had no connections. I had no no way to understand or no way to kind of gauge whether I'd even want to do it. It was just like this idea to me. Yeah. But I remember hearing somebody ask somebody in in an office like, oh, I really want to get into television. Like, how do I do that? And they're like, well, you're going to have to do a lot of hard work. It's this, this, this. And actually, if I'd heard that, you're going to have to do a lot of hard work. It's this, I'd be like, oh shit, it is really hard to get into but you just have to work just as hard as you would in any other industry and you have to do this like awful thing of like knowing people but there's there's an idea that there's not so I I still think that our industry is really underbalanced with women and like I've seen it in every job I've had I've never felt like oh there's loads of women here or there's loads of women at the top I haven't had that as much as other people I've seen but um the Stephen Follows report suggested that, like, film school entrants in this country are still 50-50. So, like, you know, 50% of women and 50% of men. Yeah. Um, of all those starting out, you know, with the same ambitions. But Ofcom data from last year just confirmed that women, ethnic minorities and disabled people are underrepresented are underrepresented across the TV industry as a whole and always. And when we talk about the TV industry, like, what are we talking about? Um, I would say we're talking about, like, the five major broadcasters, the so BBC, Channel 4, ICB, Sky and Viacom, who own Channel 5. Um, but I think that whole idea of TV and the industry is being, like, blown open mm. with independent content makers content makers like youtubers youtubers yeah, yeah. youtubers and also They're just doing it for themselves they don't have to f- do all the kind of fighting and ass kissing and... mm. but they're not making much money whereas no. television is still like the fortress of cash isn't mm. it and the fortress of experience like you can go from television jobs quite easily onto digital content jobs yeah but coming from digital to television is a much harder leap to take yeah and there is still gatekeepers of our industry and 
I, I'm, I'm not sure why we'll continue to be like that. Why, why do people get so angry, those gatekeepers? <laughs> like, you see people and they're like, oh, you want to change position where you're going to have to go back to being a runner and you're going to have to do at least a year. And people are really, really hard mm. on new entrants and people wanting to do something a little bit different. But it's like, who hurt you? <laughs> why are you so mad at everybody? Yeah, but on that same vein, we get frustrated when we see, and you do see, junior men climb mm. up much a much faster accelerated rate yeah. than junior women and I don't even know why because sometimes the people who are accelerating those people the people that are negotiating those better wages for those men are women it's like a self-perpetuating industry thing like women have to lift other women in the industry yet they're too scared to because it will look like we're kind of uh like looking out for like I I want to dedicate a big part of the rest of my career to making sure young women can get into this industry yeah and feel comfortable and safe here to express their ideas in a way that I didn't I didn't feel safe to express my ideas until very recently like it's and to find your voice you know like TV's such a loud industry. It <laughs> like, is. It's so loud. It's full of extroverts. You go into the kitchen and people are just like, yeah, yeah, well, you should get that, you should change that, you should do this, like, really loudly across you while you're trying to make tea, and mm. you're like, why am I here? I hate everyone here. That's, that's <laughs> what I want to do. It's like that thing in TV when you walk in and you're like, what did you do this weekend? Right, so anyway, yeah, we went to this big show and A-list celebrity, A-list celebrity, but of course we're friends. And yeah, 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 yeah. What did you do? Um, I just read a book at home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you need to speak up. (laughs) You need to speak down. Yeah. Um, So what would you like to see change? Um, I would just, I'd like to see a bit more diversity. Well, a lot more diversity. And I'd like to see, I'd, I'd just like to see a kind of attitude shift. I think if I'm in a position of employing people, you get your short list of CVs and you put the white males to the back and interview everyone else first Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) like and that's not saying that the white males aren't any good but it's just they will get a job somewhere else so try and give people a chance and also I think a lot of it is to do with the way that you socialize and the way that you talk and your kind of general demeanor and I think we need to be much more open to people who from different backgrounds and who just behave in different ways Mm. like (laughs) it sounds silly but just just people people who have different experiences and what sort of programs would they like to make Mm. we at the moment we're in a position where diversity is getting better at the bottom but the top is still so so white dominated Mm. um so it's like the next kind of five ten years need to be the, a massive, massive push for change. Mm-hmm. And people need to start calling each other out. Yeah. People mispronouncing names of, like, non-white people and thinking it's funny. Mm. and Or acceptable. Yeah, and people going, I'm not racist, but... Mm. And going, oh, safe space, safe space. Yeah. Never say safe yeah. space. You were never in a safe space where you can communicate racist, homophobic, transphobic dialogue. Mm. Um, I went to a uh, talk the other day about TV, and it was like, this is a safe space where we can say whatever we want. Nobody's allowed to put any of this on social media. And I was thought, thinking, I don't want to be in this room. What is this secret conversation that you want to have about representation? Yeah. And there's somebody who deals with Love Island, and... I was like, well, we need to talk about your diversity problem and we need to talk about the message you're sending to young people. 
you're not in a safe space. No. Your job is not a safe space. Yeah. If your runner isn't safe, you are not safe. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> I'm angry. No, I agree. And like, if you're in positions of power, you need to realise the kind of responsibility you're held up to. Yeah. Even you and I probably have made some content that we might have found questionable. You know, yeah. like perhaps stuff that we were involved in. I mean, definitely early on in my career, I was doing some really wacky game show shit that was just like insane. <laughs> or I worked for a Russian broadcaster for a year, yeah. you know, to like learn about the newsroom and... And I had to think about like what, whose message am I supporting and helping, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, in television, like Love Island is kind of this uh, higher ground. And if you can achieve a program like Love Island, everyone tries to congratulate you and it can be the best thing you can ever do. But that's not all there is to television. Yes, it might be the loudest, brushest TV program that you can watch, but there's so much more interesting content to be made and uh people to talk about and mm. platforms to to raise yeah um so yeah i think i agree with you on dressing diversity would just be like just you can shift things very mm. quickly by hiring people and like keeping keeping each other safe and like looking out for the people lower lower down in the pecking order that don't have stable jobs runners that are friends with everybody because they are from the same social class or know the same people always get work yeah runners who are a bit different will will be out of work and they'll be working five different pub jobs and I know you and I had to struggle with different part-time jobs to keep afloat and to keep even being able to live in London Mm. being able to cover the rent yeah just give people a chance and if you think someone's done something wrong talk to them there's such a thing in this industry because people are moving around from production to production that you see someone doing something wrong and you just bitch about it. I, well, I don't, but people do and they're like, oh, they're shit. Mm. And your rep- your reputation is everything, but no one actually takes the time to pull someone aside and say, hey, when you said that, that was misconstrued and they thought that you were being rude. I know mm. you're not trying to be rude. Yeah. Giving them a little helping hand or trying to understand them. I just think anyone you let out of your production that has a bad reputation now is Mm. it's on you it's not on them because you haven't spoke unless you've spoken to them about it and tried to teach them why they might have come away with a bad reputation it's on you and that communication bit is so key because we work in a creative industry so we spend a lot of time sitting around philosophizing about things you know intellectualizing things that maybe don't need to be (laughs) also we spend a lot of time like thinking up editorial topics and like how to make something interesting or entertaining or informative and and we have those really great rigorous conversations and if you're having those conversations about like uh I don't know like the housing crisis in London and everybody there lives with their parents and never had to really rent or struggle think about the kind of uh, depth of conversation you might have and how that would be limited that's why you need a range of people do you remember in free speech when we did housing and Uh, we were talking about benefits and our boss was like, oh, Charlie, tell me about benefits then. Because no one else around the table had ever lived off or Housing received benefits. benefits. Oh, right, yeah. So I was like, okay, let me see. I'll tell you about my childhood. And it was, it's, yeah, it was really, it was just really weird to often be in a room when we're trying to make content about big issues when only one person has the experience. It's like, Rubina, tell us about, tell us about you being BAME. Yeah. What does BAME mean to you? Yeah, exactly. Take it away. No. <laughs> off 
this episode of the podcast, we thought we'd talk about the reality of working in television. As always, here at DAS, we like to give you an insider guide to what's <laughs> real. <laughs> I like that you've been, as always, at DAS. <laughs> I mean, because that is like DAS style. We Inside. like We might have our foot in the door, or as Charlie says, she has her leg in the door. But we've got a little camera in that door, and we're going to broadcast everything we can see in here. No safe spaces. <laughs> safe spaces are reserved for, for people who need them, not privileged people who don't need them. Exactly. Let's expose this shit. So I thought we could talk about something that you and I are supposed to be good at. Networking. Oh, And now, a definition. So networking, it is a supportive system of sharing information. Oh my God, it's not supportive. That's (laughs) not the definition, is it? And services among individuals and group sharing a common interest. Uh, It's also the design establishment or utilisation of a computer network. I don't know if that's right, but... (laughs) (laughs) Networking. Charlie, are you a good networker? Do you know what? I think I'm all right. I like chatting. I like meeting new people, but I do get really nervous, and any event that might have an alcohol in it (laughs) will mean that I am sweating and red in the face. Like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I normally like meet one person and just stay with them. Stay with them. Yeah. And the person I meet is normally somebody who's either at my level or lower down. <laughs> like I've I'm not someone who'll go to a CEO or no a channel controller no and way. slide up to them and be like, Hey, I've yeah. written the script. Are you interested? <laughs> no, me neither. And I wonder if that kind of stuff actually works in real life. But for me, networking is like just something that you're told, oh, make sure you network, make sure you like, go and meet people, introduce yourself, yeah. uh, go and have coffees with people. And they're always I've coffees. asked some people for coffee and they've said no. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks oh, anyway, bye. <laughs> and I went for one coffee and this lady was like, why are you here? What do you want from me? And I was like, oh, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to meet you. I yeah, I was kind of like, aura. I just wanted to be in your presence, really. Yeah, I know. It's so much of that, like, you have to kind of meet people and be like, I really like the work that you do, and I'd like to do work like you. Mm. Um, But also, sometimes you just want to ask someone for help. Like, I don't know whether this is the right job for me. Do you think I should be trying this? Or can you look at my CV? And I don't know if I'm growing anymore. I don't know if I'm learning anything new. I don't know if I'm surrounding myself by the right people, you know, like... Yeah. Are you one of the people that I should surround myself with? (laughs) Yeah. Do you take a coffee if people want to go take you for a coffee? Always. Absolutely. Every time. I like it. Yeah. I find find it really flattering if someone wants to ask you some questions. And if... I think if someone's reached out and they want to get into TV and they've taken the time to have a... come for a coffee, then... I'll try and help get them a job. I don't know. I think it's quite, it's nice. Yeah. And that, that is the kind of the good bit about the network, the network, the network. Um, Doesn't it feel like shit dating? Like dating that like at any cost, like this is your livelihood. Dating that you're the one that's kind of gagging for it. Yeah. (laughs) And they're not that interested. You're really keen on a date and they're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like going after someone that is never going to like you, (laughs) but you have to just keep going and keep turning up. Yeah. Also with networking, the thing that I think is really interesting, it is inherently exclusive. So you get invited to events or you get, you have to go for after work drinks or you have to do uh kind of it is work you do outside of work yeah and you've got to think about all those people that are excluded from that so um people that don't drink 
Yes. Going to those events is not fun for them. Mm. And I mean that from, you know, people who are teetotal because they might have addictions, Muslims, yeah. any other religious groups that don't drink, you know, pregnant women. It excludes a lot of people from even just entering into the world. And people that um, don't have the time. People, yeah. If you're looking after your kids, you have to go home early. You have a part-time job because you want to be able to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't live in London, you've got a train to catch. Yeah. Like, it is really set up for a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. And every, every it's, it's everyone's like, oh, you know so-and-so. And so many ins to the conversations are like, oh, yeah, my friend Joe's worked with you before I'm this person. And yeah, it's really difficult to strike up a conversation to be like, hi, you've never met me before. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the work you do. Yeah. That is such a difficult in then oh, my best friend's worked with you before. Yeah. Isn't she funny? Isn't she cool? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Heard when you were on location, this mm. happened. There's something really weird that happens to me at, like, networking or award ceremonies, and this is terrible, but I'm just going to admit that Go I do on. it, is if there's another ethnic minority in the room, yeah. I hone in on them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, hey, yeah, hey. And I always think that that is enough. For me to start a conversation, I can't tell you how many times I've been disappointed. Where I've been like, <laughs> oh, you're black or brown and you must, you must get me. You know, you must, you know. And then I remember recently I met a black girl who works in television and she's like 25 and I just met her for the first time at uh, an award ceremony. It's name drop. <laughs> um, but I met her and uh, our, she started chatting, like she started kind of, she honed it on me, basically. Yeah. And her opening line to me was, is your, does your mum go to a salon in, in Kensington? And I was like, what? Oh. I was like, that's original. What do you mean? She was like, does, does your mum go into a salon in Kensington? Because I went to get my hair done in Kensington and I sat next to an Indian woman and she looked like you. <laughs> and she showed me a picture of her daughter who works in the media, news, and it looked like you. I was like, wow. I didn't think other ethnic minorities did that to each other. <laughs> but they do, so. <laughs> I always, like, I always attract like people like all the all the kind of red-cheeked people <laughs> like i cheeked people yeah like all the sort of like a little bit soft looking and i'll just Ooh. be in the corner with like people like soft people the other thing i thought we should probably touch on is like freelancing yes i think the realities of freelancing is always quite interesting so for those of you who don't know most jobs in television like 90% of jobs in television? creative jobs in television. Yes. The most sought-after jobs in television are freelance. Editorial jobs, yeah. probably. Directors, Mostly producers, they're researchers. all freelance. So that means you can work on a job between three to six months, sometimes less, sometimes weeks. Sometimes days. And you have to then always be hustling for your next bit of work. Hustle, um, hustle. And actually, I was thinking about it. Last year, I worked nine months of the year. So I had three months looking for jobs or not having work. Mm. And the year before then, I worked 10. So I worked a lot more. That year was good. Yes. Uh, so you have to be very smart about your money. And you have to be very careful about negotiating your wages and, and contracts. look after your mental health. So when you're not working, you don't have a complete breakdown. Yeah. Although I do every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm kind of on the verge of one. I've just finished a job. Um... But I, I, think... I always think how confident would I be if I just had a solid job? 
Mm. how sure of myself I'd be because it's like you build yourself up when you're on a job and then suddenly you're unemployed and you're looking for your next job and you think am I ever going to get a job yeah and it just really knocks you knocks you back Mm. when you talk to people about what you do and you're like oh I work in television and they're all like you know doctors lawyers whatever whoever they are yeah and they're like what are you working on at the moment and you're like god I wish I met you six months ago and I was working on something great and now I have to talk to you about this thing that I'm working on that's <laughs> definitely a filler. Or nothing. Or, like, <laughs> I've not got a job right now. Yeah. And people, like, friends and family get really upset for you. Yeah, they're like, like, oh, God, that must be... Oh. <laughs> We're very brave. And we don't often give each other credit for, like... A Sticking big... with it. Yeah, and a big leap that we've taken away from security to be able to do what we love. Mm. Um, and there's I... lots of compromises we've both made in our own lives that have you know, made us do this. Relationships, time, you know, our families, there's things that we've sacrificed to be here and to remain here. Yeah. I always think there's going to be some big payoff. (laughs) I'm like, I I have to make something that makes a considerable chunk of money to pay back my husband for all the emotional hours (laughs) and all the things we've missed out on by me pursuing this career. But working in telly is glamorous, isn't it? It's so glamorous. glamorous, there's drugs, there's alcohol, <laughs> there's it's drugs. wild. There's drugs, there's long hours, there's people you hate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think your favourite bit of working in telly is? Um, my my favourite bit is just the randomness of it, like you just being at like 2am in like a basement somewhere filming something really weird (laughs) and like you know one day you can be in the office the next day you're at the houses of parliament or (laughs) yeah I I love going to people's homes when you're doing factual tv you often have contributors up and down the country and you'll just Mm. be like in Burnley and someone you've been filming with all day will be like oh come and have dinner at our house or come in for a cup of tea and just sitting in there and meeting these kind of wonderful people I love anyone that puts themselves up for tv Mm. because they've just they've taken a risk on us and it I I really like it I just I just like meeting all the people who is your tv hero you are (laughs) do you know what I um the people that give me hope and the people that make me want to stay in tv aren't the people the heads of the channels or the commissioners or the people at the top because at the moment they're not representing us Mm. I much prefer coming and talk when I when we talk I want to make tv and I want to make good tv together and yeah. i don't i'm not gonna idolize someone that's come before because i don't i don't know i want to make my own way oh that's so good that's such a good way to end this episode well because all the things that have been made like a lot of the things i love have been made by men or if they've been made you know so let's make our own you had it here first wild watch this space Um, well thank you so much for listening guys Um, thanks everyone enjoyed that episode about women in film uh, do let us know these are our socials on Instagram we are we are das Twitter is das underscore podcast and Facebook is das podcast Uh, we also have a website called daspodcast.com where you can get in touch with us if you have any questions Uh, thank you so much for listening like and subscribe like it share it das Das it it. (laughs) woo girls on film so fucking hot in here